Hello. In just a quick second here, and I'll be right with you. When it's not your pulpit, you have to arrange things in the ways that uh, make sense for you. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm doing at this second here. Um, today, I want to speak to you about trusting in the Lord. Um, to the Christian, I want to pose a question to you. Do you trust in the Lord? Not partially in some areas, and not only in a few areas of your life, but in all areas and completely. Would you open your scriptures today, your Bibles? Our text today is going to be Psalm 62. Take a moment to thumb your way over there, because we will be looking at that in depth as we go. Now, as a preface to this, I want to talk about the notion of trust and things that we do trust. For example, today I noticed that as some of you sat down in the pews, you trusted the pew. You placed yourself into that as you would in any other part of your life. You found your seat, you put your belongings down, and you sat down. None of you seem to consider whether the pew was constructed well enough to support you. And on a visual inspection, you deemed it sturdy and sat. You implicitly trusted the object. You placed your care in that object. Other things that we trust, we trust banks with our money and our deposits. We trust bridges and and the engineers that designed them to transport us safely. We trust airplane pilots with our lives. These are things that we increasingly trust and accept in our daily life. Now, there are also things that we don't trust. We learn to be skeptical of some, of some individuals. Time and experience teach us to be skeptical about some politicians, many weathermen that claim it's always sunny, and we should probably distrust all people that email you with the good news that a fortune's been left to you in a foreign country, and it can be yours if you will only share your Social Security number and your credit card with them. We should be skeptical about trusting people like that. But the challenge that many of us face is that in dealing with God, we are more likely to trust him to a degree than we are to trust him totally and completely. For many of us, the issue is that we do trust in Jesus, but we also trust in something else. In some areas of our lives, Jesus is not really sufficient for all things. It is in those areas that we are placing our trust in either ourselves, someone else, or something else. And as believers today, I want you to examine what is it that you're putting all of your trust in. You know, not fully trusting in God is like the man who's standing on a dock and he's trying to climb into a small boat that was unsecured. As his weight shifted, neither the dock nor the untied boat could support his weight, and into the water he went. And before we act like that foolish man and end up all wet, let us consider whether or not we have firm footing in our own lives. As we prepare to look at Psalm 62, let me give you a little bit of historical context. Not a lot's been known about this psalm. What we do know is that David wrote it. And further from reading, we can reasonably conclude that David was under a time of duress. There were challenges in the kingdom. Now, there are two major times that David had to flee the kingdom. 
it was because he was under attack. The first was when he was persecuted by Saul. And David flees with his men, and he is on the run. He's literally being chased by an army, and he's hiding among the hills and the forests. Eventually, he overcomes Saul and comes back as the triumphant king. The second time is when his own son Absalom leads a revolt to usurp David. And David and his army begin to flee the kingdom. And sadly, David will defeat his son in battle and will again return to rule. You can read about both accounts in First and Second Samuel. Which period in which the psalm is written, we do not know. But we can appreciate the circumstances under which it is written. Think of it. One day, David is in the kingdom. The next, he is out and literally running for his life. He is fleeing. He is being pursued by a worthy adversary. His enemies are chasing him, and he is asking himself some very profound questions, questions that still resonate with us today, questions we should ponder in the context of our lives. Now, if you are a note-taker, let me give you the main point of the psalm. It is this. People of God trust only in the Lord. Let me repeat that. People of God trust only in the Lord. Now, let's take a look at at Psalm 62 and read this together. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless him with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation, my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances they go up, and they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God, and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his works. Things that we wrongly place our trust in, which David reveals to us. Look with me in verses 3 and 4. The imagery that David is using here is of a man actively trying to push over, over a leaning fence. They do so with purpose and malice and planning and thought. This is not accidental. This is deliberate. Their objective is to defeat him. Do you know what makes this even worse? Is that these are men that were likely confidants of the king. 
A king needs an inner circle. A king needs people he can trust as sounding board, people he can use to derive decisions and make firm judgments. Look at verse 4. This is the people he was trusting in. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. They've been lying. They've been scheming. They've been telling David one thing and actively working against him. They delight in doing this. Have you ever dealt with people like this? Supposed friends that you've allowed into your life, you've been vulnerable with, you've confided with? And what is their response? It's to plan your destruction. They tell you what it is that you want to hear, and they lie to you, and they take pleasure in doing it. A good example of this may be the people that you work with. Before the boss, they smile and agree, but when out of earshot, they confide in others about how stupid or out of touch that boss really is. Those that David thought that he could trust are actively planning his downfall. What a betrayal. Man is sinful and wicked. He is fickle. To place, to solely place our trust in others is a mistake. And as we shall see, that trust solely belongs upon the Lord. The other thing that we wrongly trust in are opinions, sins, and circumstances. Look down with me at verse 9. Those of low estate are a breath, and those of high estate are a delusion. And the balances, they go up, and they are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. We esteem others. We value others. Their opinions count. Their thoughts influence us. And depending on the subject, what others have to say, we value those people very highly. We give them weight. We consider them worthy to be listened to and esteem them as wise. But David tells us that when weighed against God, man is of no weight. He is a mist, a vapor, a fog that will disappear when exposed to the heat of the sun. Especially in areas that man declares himself to be wise in ways that contradicts God's word. Beware of those men. Beware of the trust that you place in the opinion of others where they disagree with God's word. You are making a mistake. However highly we value the opinion of others, either lowly or highly, they cannot bear the weight of our trust when weighed on a balance against God. And understand this. It is not that we have nothing to fear from man as much as that we have nothing to hope from him. Man in his wisdom is not your source of salvation. He is not your security. Like David, we need to conclude that our only hope is in God. Further, in verse 10, the thing that motivates mankind are the fruits of sin, extortion, stealing, covetousness. Those that trust in sin will always be let down. It will be a failing for you. You may at some point enjoy a little fruit, a little taste of something, but it will ultimately poison you. That is sin. 
Also, in verse 10, look at what David says about circumstances. If your riches increase, set not your heart on them. Your riches are not a reflection of you figuring out the formula of life. In the providence of God, he has chosen to bless you, to give to you. That is a reason to say thank you. Do not trust in those riches or in your understanding of circumstances. Instead, trust in the one that controls all things. A very healthy challenge for all of us is to examine our prayer attitudes. Are you thankful to God when your riches decrease? When, when your life does not go the way you want it to, are you still thankful? If not, it may be that the Holy Spirit's revealing something to you. Now, contrasted to what we should not trust in, let's talk about what we should, and this is what David deals with. So starting in verse 1, it's a fair question. What should I trust in? Look at David's response. First off, in the first eight verses of this psalm, he uses the word alone four different times. God alone. This is not a mistake. It's not an accident. It's a point of emphasis. Don't miss it. God is worthy, dependable, a place where we can place our hopes, our dreams, and yield. Christian, please, hear we can yield our lives to him. We can yield that control which we so preciously hold on to. God is worthy of that. For the Christian, God is the object of our lives. It's not us. It's not our family. It's not our bank account. The object, the central thing that our lives revolve around is the Lord. And we should trust in him. What is the reaction of one who has placed his trust in the Lord? David says it's a willing silence. After we've poured ourselves out to God, when we've plainly made our thoughts and concerns known to him, we wait in silence, uncomplaining, unmoving, my confidence is in the Lord and his determination for what is good for me. That should be our attitude. Can you join the prophet Isaiah in saying, But now, O Lord, you are our father and we are the clay, and you are our potter, and we are all the work of your hands. The verse that we recited earlier today, do you have the same attitude of Solomon when he writes, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding? In your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Can you join Solomon in saying that? The scriptures have other examples, but they all cry with one voice. We are to place our trust in God and in God alone. Further, see what David's mindset is in verse 1. He claims to be waiting in silence, silently. Patiently. Can you imagine? Now, David's on the run. He is in the caves, in the hills, in the forests. And at some point during the day, he's probably having conversations with his men. 
And his men are rightly complaining to David that he has been wronged. He's been treated unfairly. And he needs to respond with kingly authority. But David's position is one of silence. Why? It is because God is his defender. God is his rock. God is his salvation. God is his deliverer. Like Isaiah, David trusts the potter with his life. He knows who is the clay and who is the potter. Further, let's look down in verse 5 and verse 8. David's going to take, David's going to resolve this issue for us as we need to as well. How is it that we can have such a firm trust? Look with me in verse 2 and verse 6. Now remember, the Psalms are written in the style of poetry. Statement, reflection, repeat of the first statement with a little modification, and then a further thought goes. This is what David is doing. In verse 2, he states, I will not be greatly shaken. That means I may move a bit, but not much. I am really rather firm. Okay? Now in verse 6, I will not be shaken. David is like the tree that is planted by the river. Despite the storms, its roots are deep, healthy. He is unmoving. He is firm. A firm resolve has taken place in his heart. He has ended the internal dialogue of what and whom to trust with his life. That constant conversation about who is in control. That is why he can remain silent. Christian friend, are you firmly trusting in the completed work of Jesus on the cross and willingly yield your life over to him as both Savior and Lord? Do you realize what the word Lord means? Commander, instructor, one who tells us what to do? Savior, we understand, we embrace. Lord, that's the challenge. And who you trust is a reflection of the lordship of Christ. Can you join Isaiah's thoughts about being a lump of clay that Christ is forming for your good and his glory? At the risk of overstating this idea, let me give you an illustration. Pretend that you are working in a restaurant and you are a waiter. And one of your jobs is to take one of those really big trays from the kitchen and deliver them to the table. Now, these are heavy trays, and you have to be very careful or the whole thing's going to fall over and crash. Now, in this illustration, the things that we place on our trays are possibly our families, our careers, money, finances, personal reputation, or any other thing we want to control. We arrange them just so with the illusion that we are in control of it. We've got this, we say. We can deliver that tray to its intended destination. Trusting in God is not letting him arrange the items on your tray and then bearing the load ourselves. Trusting in God is not working with God to lift the tray together and carry it to its destination. Instead, trusting in God is letting God both place the items on the tray and carrying it to its destination. Your responsibility is to serve the items, to take action with the things God has placed in your life. 
Stop worrying about your lives. Turn with me to Matthew 6. We're going to look at verses 25 through 34. Jesus talks about that. It was in the New Testament they had these anxieties about things. And Jesus looks at them and says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body and what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. Now, I'm not asking you to go home and to sit silently and just wait for Christ to take care of all the details of your life. The Bible is full of commands to go and to do, We're told to work, to serve, to pray, to gather, and a whole host of other commands that call our feet, our hands, and our tongues into action. Our motivation reveals in what we trust in, because how you react to your circumstances reveals in what you have placed your trust. Remember, you are more valuable than creation. Christ died for you. Don't be anxious. Trust in the one who is faithful in all ways. That is what David means when he speaks. He will no longer be greatly shaken. That is how David can say, I will not be shaken. He has decided to completely trust in Jesus. To completely trust in God, rather. He trusts him as his protector, his provider, his fortress, his salvation. It's a complete trust in one who is worthy of that trust. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, Behold God, my salvation, I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. A trust like that is a struggle for us. And like you may, I also struggle with that trust. However, I want to challenge you to examine your hearts. Why is it that you struggle Have you deemed God as unworthy? Is he untrustworthy? No, he is not, ever. He invites us to trust him. Come to me, he says, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. And you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. How is it then that we are to do this? How is it we are to do this kind of trust? David tells us this in verse 8. Trust in him at all times, it says. O people, pour out your soul, pour out your heart before God, for he is a refuge for us. Pour out your heart. Tell the Lord, what is it that's weighing you down? Empty yourself. The imagery is that of a pitcher that has been tipped and the fluid is gone. Pour out. Have you ever had the experience of just needing to go and speak with a good friend to share your burdens and thoughts? We do that because after we are done, we feel lighter. Now, generally, this is a good thing. And as believers, we are called to bear one another's burdens. However, what is best is to do what David is instructing us to do, to unburden ourselves upon the Lord and to pour out your heart before him. God loves you and he wants you to empty yourself before him, for he is the only one that can carry that load. He's the only one that's carrying that tray. Now, I do want to caution you. We are not instructed to pour ourselves out before the, before the Lord so that he can arrange things to your liking. It is a sin for us to think that we can control and manage God. To orchestrate your future in the way that you want it to be, Along with trusting in the Lord, we have to realize his ways are not our ways. Life often will not go the way that we planned, and that is why we hope to, ha- to that is why we have to join David in the realization that he alone is our protector, our hope, our salvation. And here David concludes the psalm in verses 11 and 12. He tells us something that he has heard repeatedly, and that's what he is saying here in verse 11 when he uses the phrase, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this. This is his way of saying, I've heard this repeatedly. The first, power belongs to God. There is no real power this is a very, excuse me, this is a very real power. It is the power to create, to orchestrate, to do all things. Nothing is impossible for God. That powerful God is the one that we are called to place our trust in. Remember, like the pew that you sat in earlier, faith is only as good as the object you place it in. If you are trusting in something other than Jesus, you're placing it in something that will fail you. You will be harmed. You will be disappointed. But that will never happen when you place your trust in God. The second thing that David tells us is that God is the ultimate judge. You will render to a man according to his works. It is not your responsibility to right all the wrongs in the world. It's not your responsibility to right all the wrongs in your world. Instead, let God do it. He claims he will do it. He tells us he will do it. Listen, beloved, 
Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is a promise we should firmly take hold of and thank God for. Because for believers, that vengeance, that wrath was taken care of at the cross by Jesus for us. That is why we celebrate Jesus. He is our Savior. And today I'm calling on you to settle on him as Lord as well. Now, for those of you listening that don't believe in Christ, that, that are not trusting in Jesus, I can assure you that your works and your actions of your life will be judged. Those that will not accept a free pardon must face a fair trial. God saves men according to his grace and mercy. He also judges men according to their works. And though in your judgment you have done some good things, and in some ways you've declared yourself better than others, understand that in the eyes of the Lord, you are going to be found wanting, exposed, and ultimately condemned. It may be for you that you're tired of trying to lift the tray, of trying to run life on your own terms. And I would urge you to stop, to turn to Christ, to confess your sins and place your only hope in him. To better understand this, after the service, please come see me or one of the elders. We can explain this in further detail for you. We thank God for his written word. We thank God for this psalm. Now join me in in prayer as we bow our heads and prepare for the Lord's Supper. Holy God, I pray, Father, that you would search our hearts, convict us of those things that we have misplaced our trust in. I pray, God, that that your people would grow in a deeper understanding and love for you and that you would convict us of our sins. But beyond that, God, we thank you for how worthy you are. We thank you, Father, for your glory and for your might and for your power. We thank you for how you love us, and you are completely worthy of us placing our trust in you, Lord. Let your people love you. Help us to love you further. And, Father, we celebrate the completed work on the cross Prepare us as we take and join in the Lord's Supper. Amen.